So, want to share a little bit about the text that I'm working through in Mark. We've been reading and uh, preaching through the book of Mark. As uh, I don't know about you, as I've been reading in Mark, here's the three things that kind of struck me about this morning's passage. This morning's passage is from Mark chapter 8. And in the, the section that I want to preach from, there's three really unique things that just caught my attention. The first one, um, the passage is about Jesus and his healing of a blind man. And the first thing that caught me as I read through this passage was the just the personal details that Mark includes, the, the image of Jesus taking this blind man uh, by the hand, guiding him outside of the, the village where maybe it was busy or loud, where there's kind of this uh, a picture of this personal interaction between Jesus and this man. And just the, the, the nature of that healing kind of caught my attention, the, the, the beauty of Jesus taking the, the time to, to notice and care for in a, in a really personal way, uh, this man. That just kind of struck me. Now, the second thing that caught my attention and thought, I, I need to, to share this uh, with folks at church, I've read through Mark before and I've noticed that uh, maybe you noticed, and maybe you were asking this question, Jesus heals this man in a, a kind of a two-part healing. And some of the questions are, like, why does it happen that way? And, and I, I kind of do this sometimes when I'm reading God's Word. I'll, I'll read it, and I'm like, that's kind of interesting, and all well, the next day, move on to the next thing. And I hadn't thought really deeply until preparing to, to share this with you guys. So I have been excited to see what I think Jesus is doing in that action that, that teaches us something, that, that Jesus doesn't do anything accidentally or, or off the cuff, and especially the writers of Scripture don't include details that are, are just there for trivia. It's to teach us something about what God is doing. So I think this teaches us something uh, about who Jesus is. Now, the, the third thing that caught my attention in this text has to do with maybe it's childlike curiosity. Uh, we've been reading, Lisa and I have been reading um, through the Gospels in our, our reading in that little book with Samuel, our youngest. And so every morning, one of us is spending some time reading with Samuel. And he's in third grade, and he notices things that I ignore. So if you have a childlike curiosity, if you're like my son Samuel, you'll read about this passage and you're going to be kind of curious, why does Jesus use saliva in this healing? It's kind of an, an odd detail. And, and if you're a kid or if you're like me, you're like, okay, what is going on? Why does he do that? And, and I have, a, I don't have like a uh, a lock, um, uh, an awesome answer that's going to radically transform your next week in your quiet times. But I think it's something that has helped me to understand one more thing about Jesus. So those three things caught my attention, and I thought, I, I think I need to share from this. Now, none of those are the main idea. I think the main point that I want you to hang on to is not about Jesus and saliva. It's not about anything else that Jesus does. The big thing that I want you to, to be looking for as we read through the text is this. For this morning, do you see what Jesus reveals about himself? One of the things that Jesus does in this passage and then in the verses that come right before it that we're going to look at as well, Jesus asks his followers, he asks his disciples a series of questions. And I think we have to, to reckon with these questions as well. Jesus asks his disciples, do you comprehend what I have done? Are your hearts receptive to what I've done? Are you able to, to see? Are you able to hear? Are you able to perceive what Jesus is up to in the world? Do you remember what he's already done on your behalf? Have you put the facts together? When it comes to Jesus, do you see anything? 
That's the question that Jesus asks this blind man is, do you see anything? Or are we too busy arguing or complaining about our everyday distractions? Are we too busy doing that to get the point that Jesus is trying to make? So let's take a look at at God's word and see what it teaches us about Jesus. We're in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Here's what those verses have to say. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, and he led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So why does Jesus do what he does in these verses? What do his actions mean? Um, We can't understand very much about what Jesus is doing based on what he says, because he only says two things. Um, He asks this question, do you see anything? Then he tells the man to, to go home. He doesn't say anything else. He's not teaching a uh, you know, a, a long discourse. He's not explaining very much. And, and Mark works that way as a gospel. Um, I know in my triad, we've been talking about this. Mark reads like, a, like an action movie. From the very beginning, Jesus is doing, doing, doing. Um, I think I asked on Sunday night, asked someone like, how many times did Jesus, um, or does Mark use the phrase immediately? And I think someone sitting next to me counted like 20 times in the first chapter. So it's all action in Mark's gospel. So Jesus doesn't say very much to explain what he's doing. So how do we figure out what he's doing in these verses and what his actions mean to us? Well, the first thing that I want you to know, and I'll explain why, is this. Jesus didn't need a second try to heal this blind man. Understand that Jesus is not like taking a mulligan as he didn't try first and fail and then need a second attempt to heal this man's blindness. That's not what's happening here. So what is going on? What's unique about this situation that required a second touch from Jesus to heal this man? Well, we can't look at like Matthew or Luke, the other gospels that share some content with Mark. They don't include this. It only shows up in Mark. So we've got to to look at Mark carefully and try to figure out what's happening here. And I would explain it this way. I think we have to know that Jesus's power to heal is unlimited. There's no ceiling on what Jesus can do. And we know that if you think back on what we've already seen Jesus do in Mark's gospel. If you rewind to to Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters the the little girl, the young woman, who is dead. She has, has been dead for some time. The professional mourners have arrived. They are are weeping at her death. And Jesus shows up and he says, he speaks the word, little girl, get up. And she returns to life. So Jesus has total power to heal. He has power over life and death. If you remember last week in Garen's sermon, he was preaching about also in Mark's gospel, the the story of the man who is um, possessed by a legion of demons. There was such demonic control and power in this man's oppression that he would tear apart iron chains and no one could control him. And Jesus simply speaks the words and the legion of demons are, are cast out of this man. Jesus has 
total power over the spiritual realm. There's nothing that limits his power. He doesn't need a, a second try in any of these miracles. So that's not what's happening in this encounter. In Mark, um, as the gospel unfolds, you see that his power has been on display through the entire book. Again and again, he's displaying his power to heal, his power over nature. So I would argue that what's happening is that in, in doing this healing through two steps, I think what Jesus is doing is he's continuing a teaching that he's given the disciples in the couple of verses before what we've just read. Jesus has been interacting with the disciples, and he's been asking them this question, do you see what I'm doing? And he asks them several questions, and then he shows up and he demonstrates, do you see what I'm doing? So let's go backwards and take a look at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. I think it'll help us understand. So here's what's going on in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another, and they said, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears, but fail to hear. Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? So let me recap what's going on in the life of Jesus and the disciples Jesus had fed the, the 4,000 men in Gentile territory. And then Jesus and the disciples, they get on uh, in the boat and they go on to the next stop in this ministry. When they get to the shore, the Pharisees are there to greet Jesus and they challenge Jesus with this request. They say to Jesus, prove that you're the Messiah. Essentially, they, they want Jesus to, to have God call down from God and say, this is the Messiah. He's right here. And, and Jesus is, is, has been demonstrating his identity uh, over and over again up until this point. So he sees that the Pharisees, that they have no belief in him. And he lets out, the, the text says this, like, heart sigh at their unbelief. And then um, they, they refuse to believe. He gets into the boat with the disciples, and they have this discussion about yeast and bread and unbelief. And the group gets into the boat. Jesus says, to the disciples, the unbelief of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, it's like yeast that works its way through all of a loaf of bread. He says that, and when he says bread, I imagine that one of the disciples in the boat says, bread, no, we don't have any bread. We have one loaf of bread for all of the guys in the boat on this trip, and they start thinking about bread. Now, uh, the text says that they were discussing the fact that they had no bread. If you've ever been like a part of my family, um, here's how this would go. This is, this is like the Jesus version, the Jesus version. The Jason version of this text reads like this. If you're with my family and we're on a road trip and it's lunchtime and you're in the middle of nowhere, like somewhere out in Western Kansas, 
There's not a discussion about lunch. There's an argument about lunch. There's complaining about lunch. So the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus says that the unbelief of the Pharisees is like yeast that spreads through bread, and they begin to to argue and grumble and complain, like who forgot the bread, whose job was it to bring the bread, what are we going to do now as we travel, you know, several miles on the lake with nothing to eat. And Jesus asks them, why are you talking about bread? Then Jesus gives them this series of questions. Uh, If you remember, uh, Garen has a handout for us. I think there might still be some back on the information table. This handout that describes the Gospel of Mark as being divided into two parts. And in the first half, uh, Mark has been laying out this explanation of who Jesus is. His action shows again and again who he is. And we're about to get to this pivot point at the end of chapter 8. Peter will declare, you are the Messiah. And from that point forward in Mark's gospel, Jesus explains what kind of Messiah he's going to be. So you've got this pivot point, and Jesus seems to be saying in the first half of Mark's gospel, with all of his actions, he's saying, let me show you who I am. And now Jesus is asking, do you see who I am? Then transition to the blind man. Jesus is asking the disciples in this series of questions, do you see what my actions have been leading up to? Do you see who I am? They land the boat again on the the seashore. They get out of the boat, and here's a blind man. Jesus approaches this man, finds out about his blindness, leads him out of the, the village, and he puts saliva onto the man's eyes. He touches his eyes, and he asks this question, do you see anything? The man responds, and he sees what looks like trees uh, moving around, that people look like trees, kind of these bursts of color, but without any, uh, you can't really make out what they are, these fuzzy clumps. That initial touch of Jesus causes the man to see something, but he can't see in full. It's the second touch of Jesus that brings full restoration to the man's sight. So why did Jesus do what he did? He didn't need two tries. He has total power to heal. But Jesus is teaching the disciples that they need his touch to truly see. I believe that what Jesus is doing is continuing this lesson that the religious leaders, the political leaders, their unbelief is pervasive. But the disciples have received this initial first touch from Jesus. They know Jesus, but they only know him in part. And that helps to explain some of the stupid things that the disciples do again and again. I I think just this morning's readings, the the weekend reading, maybe has to do with Jesus explaining again and again his life, his death, and then he will conquer death. And the disciples, it just shoots over their head. They see Jesus in kind of a fuzzy way. They don't understand who he is fully. So, They have this fuzzy, obscured view of Jesus. But for us, as readers, like you just have to flip a couple chapters ahead and you can know what's about to happen. Um, You can know that, that Jesus will be, he is the Messiah. He will conquer death and sin on the cross. John Mark, as he's writing this story down, as he's composing the content, he's receiving this first person account from the 
the Apostle Peter. He's writing it down. He knows how the story ends. We can know how the story ends, that Jesus is the chosen one of God, the Messiah. He will teach the disciples about a new kind of Messiah, and then he will finish the work of the Messiah, victorious over sin and death. And after the resurrection, the disciples will receive a second touch from Jesus. After the resurrection, they will see everything clearly. They will understand in full after Jesus completes his work. And and that's how you see these, these men who were, they're not wise, they're not educated, they're not proficient in anything, it seems, other than kind of quarreling with each other or, or arguing about who's going to be more powerful than the next in the life after this. They never seem to get it right until they do, until they receive this second touch from Jesus. And then they become men who rock the world. They spread the gospel far and wide. So what does this kind of transition, what does this kind of of coming back to Jesus for a second touch of his healing touch, what does that teach us? I think Jesus is illustrating what we will need to know again and again, that returning for the second touch of Jesus is where we find sight. The work of Jesus on the cross, conquering death and sin, his words, his teaching, this is where we find the answers to life's questions. I have to think in a group this size that someone sits here this morning with a family that feels like it's falling apart. I know the times when I've been sitting in church on Sunday and the argument barely stopped as we got out of the car and, and came into church or the, the concerns that I have about my children are running through my mind when I'm supposed to be singing or praying. When a a family feels like it's falling apart, when there's hurt or pain from your past that feels like it's, you know, conquering your your Monday morning, when it feels like there's a problem at work or there's a problem at school and you feel like there's no way that you're going to navigate through that difficulty, we know that the touch of Jesus is what brings healing into every one of those parts of our lives. It's the action of Jesus to reach into our lives that brings healing. It's the touch of Jesus that forgives our sin and shows us a way forward. To me, the lesson in what Jesus is doing is clear. It might not be always easy for us, but it is clear. Jesus touches our lives and he asks us, do you see anything yet? I think sometimes it sounds uh, reductive or or oversimplified or like a Sunday school answer to think that the answer is just Jesus. You know, like if you have been asleep, if you've kind of drifted off as I've been talking and you start to come back in at this moment, the Sunday school answer, that just means when you don't know what to say, you fill in the blank with, is the answer Jesus? What I, I know that as I like preach this over the years, it feels kind of oversimplified or too easy that the answer to our problems is Jesus. It's not easy, but I think it's clear that this is the the fact of the matter. I I think it's more than something that's simple or reductive. I think that when we can't make sense of life, we get alone with Jesus and we let him make an impact on our hearts and minds. And we ask 
Do I now, because I've spent time with Jesus, do I now understand a way forward? We let Jesus take us by the hand and teach us his perspective on our problems. I think that's one thing that's true. If we understand what Jesus is doing, if we understand his actions, then we know that Jesus can reach into our lives and bring healing. A second thing that we can know is that true disciples will be willing to hear the questions that Jesus asks. If you look back at, at verses 14 and 21, uh, 14 through 21, where Jesus asks the disciples these intense questions, if I know what's, what's going to happen, like if I'm thinking about that and I'm one of the disciples, I don't think I get in the boat. I mean, there's no bread there. I'm going to stay on the shore with all of the bread and let the other 11 disciples and Jesus go out on the lake and get this grilling from Jesus. But true disciples are going to be willing to hear the questions that Jesus asks. Jesus is intense but as his disciples, we have to be willing to step close to Jesus and ask ourselves, and maybe even more difficult, ask one another, is your heart hardened to the work of Jesus? Are you looking for the activity of Jesus in your life today? Are you truly listening carefully for his guiding voice? Have you made an account? Have you added up? the miracles that Jesus is doing at work in your life? Do you understand Jesus? Do you see anything? Now, I said at the beginning, I would eventually get to this issue of spit, of saliva. How often do you get to say, I'm going to close with some study on spit in church? This is the first time for me. Um, but let's take a look at what might be happening with what Jesus is doing here. Um, first thought, it could simply be a culturally appropriate way to introduce healing to this man. Um, I, I was mentioning, kind of working through this in the first service, and, and someone came up to me after the service and said, you started talking about that? And I started Googling it. And, and she said, oh well, yeah, I, I think I knew what she was looking up, that you know, if you cut your finger and you start to bleed, you stick your finger in your mouth, you just kind of do that sometimes naturally, because there is a, I don't know if it's an enzyme, there's something in human saliva that, that begins the process of healing. And if you read, uh, kind of the academics would tell you that in some Roman and Jewish ancient writings, they're aware of this or they've, they've spoken about their belief that perhaps saliva could bring healing to blindness. So it might be that what Jesus is doing is simply introducing to this man, you know that we use saliva to begin to heal blindness, here comes the healing. Uh, he's preparing him for the healing that, that comes next. That could be part of the equation. So that's one thought. Set that over aside. Here's a second thought. I think it could also be a reminder, perhaps if anything else just for us, a reminder that everything about Jesus is centered on his love for us. Jesus healed in a variety of ways. Oftentimes, he heals through the power of his voice. Think of the, the child who is dead, the little girl who is dead, and Jesus simply speaks, little girl, get up, and she returns to life. He, he heals through his voice. He heals through his touch. Um, one of, this is a theme that, that shows up again and again through the Gospels, that the unclean, in, in their religious understanding, the unclean dead body, 
or the unclean man with leprosy or the unclean woman who has been bleeding for years. All of this would, would cause a normal person to become polluted or unclean if, they, if a, a healer, if a, a, a priest were to touch someone. But Jesus, instead of becoming unclean, he brings the purity of his life into each of those individuals. That his holiness heals the woman, heals the child, heals the leper. And so that theme shows up again and again when Jesus heals through his touch. He's breaking a, a taboo rule when he does that. Sometimes um, you have this picture of someone touching just the edge of the garment that Jesus is wearing, and they experience uh, healing through touching his clothing. And then there's a time where Jesus heals from a great distance. He doesn't see the person. He doesn't. He's having this conversation with the centurion, and it's done from, from a far distance. Jesus heals in a, a wide variety of ways. But I think the greatest aspect of the healing work of Jesus is the healing that, that makes the, the healing with saliva seem you know, insignificant. The greatest healing work that Jesus has done is a, a healing work that if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, and it's the shedding of the blood of Jesus to wash us clean from the black mark of our sin. It's such a, a normal part of Christian life that if you've grown up around church, maybe you have sung the songs of the blood of Jesus. But if you were to just grab somebody, you know, driving down the street and say, hey, you've never been to church, come to church with me today. We're going to sing and celebrate the shed blood of Jesus that washes us from our sin. It is a beautiful but strange reality to someone else that Jesus would willingly shed his blood to make a way for rebellious sinners like these foolish disciples and these foolish disciples like you and me, that we would be able to come to God healed of our sin. If Jesus would heal us through his blood, I would say every part of what Jesus is about is for our good. That might be a part of what Jesus is doing with the saliva. I want to close with three questions for you. Just some questions for evaluation. I want you to think about how these would impact you in, in the week ahead. And the first question is this. To what degree are we willing to evaluate our own unbelief? How willing are we to, like the disciples, get into the boat with Jesus and hear him ask some very tough questions? To what degree do you place your trust in Jesus today? Do you believe who he says he is, that he is who he says he is? Do you see anything about what Jesus might be doing in your difficult circumstances today? How willing are we to evaluate our own unbelief? Are you willing to put yourself in that place and ask those questions? Second question, are we too busy arguing about bread? Do we too easily get distracted with the pressing concerns of the day and miss what Jesus might be trying to tell you? What that looks like in my life is on Sunday, are we too busy working through the checklist of what has to happen on Monday? During times of worship, am I too distracted 
with the, the things that, that cause me um, anxiety or concern instead of hearing God's uh, word, God speak through, through worship or through scripture? Are we so busy concerned with the pressing concerns of the moment, like the disciples arguing about bread, that we miss the big picture, miss the message that, that Jesus has for us? Third question, are we satisfied seeing only fuzzy shapes? I think oftentimes people have become satisfied with an initial understanding of Jesus, a a first touch from Jesus, and we see the world kind of dimly, but think that's enough. I've had just enough Jesus in my life to try to avoid hell, but I resist coming back to him again and again and again so that he would provide healing and clarity and guidance in our lives. Too many of us, especially here at church on Sunday morning, have received kind of, uh, some of you have received a, a vaccination against COVID. Some of us on a Sunday have received a vaccination from Jesus. Just enough Jesus to give a false confidence that we are safe from hell. But living life like the blind man after his first touch, seeing the world fuzzy and confused. I think what what Jesus is trying to teach us with his action is that we come back to him again and again and again so that he would be able to provide a healing touch, a clarity, an understanding of his mission. And it's a constant renewal. And that's part of what it means to walk with Jesus as a disciple. I want to pray for these these three questions and these ideas for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, God, I thank you that you see fit to to guide us through your word, to teach us about our need to come back to you again and again and again. Father, I pray that we would be the type of people who would have total trust in you to to heal our lives. Uh, Jesus, I pray that we would have a total trust in the, the power of your blood to wash us free from sin. But Father, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with just one touch. Father, pray that we would would come back to you with a longing, a desire to find your perspective and your answer to the things that we grumble and complain about. Father, pray that you'd give us your perspective on the things that, that distract us, the things that we're anxious about. Father, pray that we would be the type of people who, who see the world so clearly because of your touch, that we would have such confidence in you, that, that our habit would be to come back to you again and again in, in such a convincing way that our lives wouldn't be the only lives that would be changed, but we would change the lives of, of the people around us in our circles of influence and in our community. Father, I pray that you would change us so that we would be able to change the world around us in that kind of way. Amen. You know, as I mentioned, this idea of being washed clean of sin by the blood of Jesus, if that is a foreign concept to you, if you don't understand what it means to be able to come into God's presence because of what Jesus did, um, I'll be up front here and I'd love to talk to you some more about that. Now, if you just have another perspective, you want to share with me your best guess at what Jesus is doing as he spits into this blind man's eyes. I, I would love to hear that as well. I do want to pray for you. I want to encourage you to, to go out into our community, 
coming back, asking the question, do we see anything and have we been touched by Jesus? Thank you guys. You're dismissed.